Hello, STEM Nation. Jeff here, and welcome to episode number 49 of STEM on Fire, where we interview practicing professionals in the area of science, technology, engineering, and math to help guide students interested in STEM careers. If you like what you hear, please share it with a friend. Now let's get fired up today with our guest, Dr. Witte, and I hope our chat will help ignite your passion towards a STEM career. Dr. Witte earned a PhD in computer science from the Illinois Institute of Technology. He is an associate professor at the University of Nebraska, and prior to that was a researcher at Iowa State University. Welcome to the show, Dr. Witte. Fill in any gaps and share a bit of your personal life. Thank you, Jeff. So I'm, I'm one of those kind of a late bloomer. So I didn't start into this field uh, until pretty, you know, until I'm kind of like mid-career. Um, I, I, my bachelor's degree was actually in uh, an area called science and technology in context, which is a branch of philosophy. So I did have a philosophy degree and, you know, and somehow magically I got hooked on to computing field and, and then, you know, decided to go all in and go to grad school and get my PhD and became a professor. So, but before that I have worked the typical odd jobs like everybody else, you know, work in a restaurant, work as a mechanic, uh, work as a translator. I, I grew up in Thailand, so I do speak Thai and English. So I did a gig as a translator for a while and things like that. Uh, but one of the things that I thought was kind of interesting about growing up in two different countries is that I have a pretty good perspective about the education systems between the two countries. And, you know, I, I, I do feel like, you know, U.S. is one of the best system out there for people who are not set early in their career about what they want to do and want to change their mind. Whereas in a third world country like Thailand, once you pick an area to go into, it's very difficult to change. Okay, thanks for that, Dr. Woody. So you've got a PhD in computer science, and you didn't go a traditional route. So, you know, this STEM, this podcast is geared towards high school students thinking about STEM careers. And you're, you're talking about that you don't have to follow a traditional route. You got a degree in philosophy, I believe you said. Yes. And then somehow you went to get a master's in possibly a STEM degree, if you could go into that a little bit, and then a PhD in computer science. Give us a little background on how that transitioned. It, it wasn't that bad. Um, personally, one of the things that is a core, I think is the base of myself, uh, it's, it's the, the core strength, is that I'm always curious about things, how things work, right? Uh, that's, that's always been my, my quest. I want to know how things work and how can I make things more efficient. That's always been the core. So when I was working in philosophy, I chose to work in the area called science and technology in context, where I look at science and technology and I try to put into the society context, right? How does it impact our lives, our society? What kind of issues they're running into that can be problematic? Let's say like if you want to do medical translation, would there be some words that might translate into multiple meanings and can cause the system to go haywire, right? Those are the kind of things that I, I spend my time looking at. So I'm always curious about science and technology. But the thing that made me switch, so you asked earlier about my master's degree. I got my master's degree in computer science as well. And, and that, that, it was a strange way to get into that. Um, so in 1994, uh, you know, my family have a restaurant in Chicago. So I work in restaurant, and I decided to put down 3000 bucks and bought myself a 386 PC, right? And, you know, that's a lot of money then. And, I, again, 
for those of you young kids, you are lucky that computers are not so expensive today. Back then, they were very expensive. And, um, and I put on Windows 95. And I was amazed at how, how it works. You know, all the graphic. And, and, and granted, Windows 95 is nothing compared to what you have today. But it was still a big advancement from the typical terminal display where you type everything in and you just see like command line versus, you know, something with GUI. So it get me thinking about how this works, how, how this computer thing works. So I decided to go back, and I already have my bachelor's degree. There. I went back to my institute, and then I started taking classes just specifically for what I want to know. So I took computer architecture, which is how microprocessor work. And that got me hooked. I mean, I was there. The instructor was a very hard, difficult man to please because I don't have the background in that area. And computer architecture is not like a first class that you take in computer science. It's like a, a third-year class. So I'm missing the first two years, and I'm going into a class in the third year that expect you to know about programming languages, know Unix, know all this and that, and I didn't know any of those. So it was a difficult challenge for me. But, and he said, I shouldn't be here. I said, well, but I'm not, I'm not pursuing any degree. I'm just want to, I just want to know about microprocessor, and this is the class that talk about that, so I want to know more about it. So he let me stay, and I did suffer a lot the first maybe half a semester, but I did very well at the end. And I love that, that, that knowledge that I earned through that class. So I decided, okay, since I know about basic computer architecture, why don't I take an advanced version of that class, which is a graduate level class. So I went and I took that class. And then um, it's, you know, it's more about, at that point, it's about, you know, multiple issues, superscalar, uh, threat level, parallelism, those are the kind of thing that they talk about in, in that class. And the instructor there was, um, uh, his name is Professor Morris Chang. He was at IIT then, but now he's, uh, he's moved on to Iowa State. And then now he's at the University, University of South Florida. And we kind of hit it off. So, you know, since I only take one class, I'm wandering around the campus a bit when I get there early just to beat the traffic. And then one day he waved me into his office and started talking to me about the, my background and said, I got my bachelor in philosophy. So maybe you can read and some of our proposal and, you know, some of our paper and help us edit the work. Why don't you come and work in my lab? You know, I won't be able to pay you, but you can learn something. He said, oh, yeah, I'll do that. Maybe I'll spend a couple of days a week, maybe two, three hours a day on that because I do have other job that I need to go back to. And he said, fine. So I start going to his lab and start reading his proposals, reading his research paper, and I got hooked even more. So at the end of that semester, I did quite well in his class, and he waved me into his office and talked about the long-term goal. And that is another thing that the STEM has, the, the, you know, the, the next generation students have to think about. What is your long-term goal? And he talked about this career in academia, about, you know, how long you would have, how productive can it be, the kind of life that you can live. And I said, yeah, I'm kind of hooked now. I mean, I like learning about this stuff. So what do you want me to do? And he said, why don't you become a regular graduate student? I would help write a reference for you. And you can apply here and you can work in my lab. And, you know, and if you do that, I'll find a way to support you. So I said, okay. So I apply, I got in. So I became a, a, a master student. 
and I paid tuition for one semester. And then after that, he found a way to support me all the way from from that year through my PhD. So that's how I end up getting into this field. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great story, Dr. Witte. Definitely a non-traditional route. You didn't have a four-year STEM degree. You had a degree in philosophy, and you, and you started out as a, a master's student heading down computer science and all the way to your PhD. And you decided to pr- pursue academia, right? So you're, you're an associate professor at the University yes. of Nebraska. Um, you had opportunities, I assume, to go out into uh, the corporate world. Why did you choose to stay in academia versus going out into the corporate world? When I got my master's degree, that was 1998, and that was like a big dot-com boom year, right? Before the bust in 2002. So, you know, there's so many opportunities out there. I was approached by a company that my, my wife, um, my wife is also in this area, and she, she's a pro, she was a programmer, and, you know, the company that she worked for have opening, and, you know, she really wanted me to apply, and again, I went back to talk to my advisor. I was kind of already leaning toward going for PhD. There's a couple of reasons for that. Um, one, the, the main reason is I like to educate people. Uh, one of the ways that he found support for me is asking me to be the TA for his class, which is computer architecture. And I was working as a TA for like two semesters, and I really love it. I thought that was kind of you know, one way to really contribute to the department and to society. And then, you know, when I talked to him the second time, he again said, well, now you have a little sample of the life of academia, right? Uh, We write paper, we go to conferences, we educate people, we support our community, whatever community you're in, whether you're in architecture, you're in programming language, software engineering, we do whatever we can to support our community. And you have the freedom to work on the project that you like to. Uh, you have your summer off where you can go earn some extra pay by getting some grant funded and pay yourself for the summer. It seems like a good life. So I said, yeah, I really like to go for PhD then. So I did. I did not go out and try to work. Uh, and I just went straight into PhD. That was a good time because I already have my TA ship. So, you know, funding is not a problem. I went in and then uh, and he moved me to become an instructor for the class that I actually went in for the first time, right? That computer architecture class, I ended up teaching something like that uh, for many years. Um, and that knowledge, I actually moved to UNL when I started my career here and I started the same classes, uh, class like that here. So that that's my main reason for going into this. I just like to educate, yeah, and awesome. do research, yep. Yeah, that's great. It sounds like a great professor at UNL. You love to teach people, and I think that shows. And we're going to move on to something here that has you really fired up about computer science or operating systems. Um, what has you fired up, Dr. Witte? I think we are in the – it's not a golden age. I guess golden age wouldn't be right, but but this is like the beginning of a golden age, I would, I would say. Uh, thinking about this, right, uh, when I went back to grad school, there was a lot of talk about AI, right? And that was you know, in the – early 90s, it's kind of fading away, just for the fact that at that point, there's a lot of theory about how to do artificial intelligence, but there was no computing power that can actually make it work efficiently, right? So at that time, there's a lot of great ideas that were out there, but we can't really do anything with them, you know, feasibly, just for the fact that the computing power were not there. But, you know, about the past 10 years, we have seen massive growth in, you know, in multi-core, 
and then the clock speed have gone up significantly. The amount of memory that we can put on a system, the 64-bit system, all this thing comes about at the right time where some of those dreams that we had 20 years ago are now reality, right? And this is only happening in the last, what, eight to 10 years. Imagine 20 years from now, right? With all this computing power, with all this know-how, with all the advancement in manufacturing, fabrication, programming languages, software engineering, and all the apply, right? So I'm looking at this computer science field, uh, computing as a whole, as a spoke to a big wheel. And all the things that's, you know, that circle around this spoke are other disciplines, right? We are now embedding ourselves into every discipline out there. We are like the new map, right? We are there for everybody, and we are the fundamental of many disciplines. This is, I think, the most exciting thing about computing. Everybody has a computer in their pocket, right? This is one of the things that is different than 20 years ago when you have to spend a lot of money to buy a desktop that is not that powerful. So looking at all these factors, it just, you just can't help but be excited about this field. This is just the tip of an iceberg, and we are going forward full steam ahead, right? We're going to be great. We're going to have all kinds of cool stuff that we've seen in a science fiction movie, and those are becoming reality as we speak. So that, I think, is, is the exciting part about this field. Yeah, I, I have to agree with that, Dr. Woody. I mean, the, the AI, the compute power, is, 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 is there now today where we can do some of these things that we couldn't do 10 years ago. And we're going to transition here a little bit, getting through college. And you're a college professor uh, yes. at UNL. And so could you share some things that you think STEMers need to have, the attributes they need to have to get through college successfully? I'm sure you see students that succeed and students that don't succeed. And if you could help STEMers understand, from your point of view, what they need. I guess the first thing that, that, that we have to, at that day, the STEMer has to understand is that when, the, when you're talking about STEM, there are four alphabets there, right? Science, technology, engineering, and math. And if you think about all this, it, it is a very broad description of a generic area, right? Now, I'm going back to this, to my situation, where I, I went into one area, and yeah, eventually I found my calling in a different area, but it's at a graduate level, but it doesn't have to mean that for undergrad, right? A lot of time... Students come into the, to a college, uh, to a university, and they think they like this, but maybe once they start exploring, they start realizing, like, maybe I really like something else. It's still within the STEM field, but it's, maybe they don't like math as much, but they, more, they like more apply, right? They want to be more engineer-like. They may not like programming as much, but they also like to build things. They might like hardware more than the software. Some people like software more than hardware. That's the beauty of college is that it allows you to change, right? You can change to whatever you want. So one of the things that I notice when I talk to some of the undergrad that come talk to me and they want to switch major and they want to do this and they want to do that and they want to come up with excuse to quit college, some of the things that they mention, even though it makes sense to them, there is a lack of clarity in the way that they think. Is that, you know, a lot of times they said, well, you know, I'm, I'm here to learn about this, but then I'm taking all other classes that don't seem to you know, interest me. Or I don't find that they are they matter. And, you know, in the long haul, being this much older now, any little thing that I took, even though I didn't like, 
history, geography, they all matter now, right? Those are the things that combine into who you are. So I told them that, yes, but you can always find something that is interest, in, interesting to you and you have your interests and then move, use that as a base to build your course, your career around it, right? Don't just look at all this obstacle that I don't like these classes and there's so many of them, I'm just going to quit college. Don't do that, right? And if you get into one area and you find that, well, this is not quite what I want, I want to do more apply, for example, then switch. If you come in as a theoretical mathematician and you want to move on to become like an electrical engineering or computer engineering or chemical engineering, go for it, right? Those are the things that you can do. Just find your core have clarity in what you want. And, and you don't have to do that the first day you walk into college. Take your time. And then as you find that, pursue it with, with, with you know, wholeheartedly, with rigorousness. And, and make sure that, that, you know, while you're doing that, you keep your perseverance, you keep your grit, so that you can continue to face the challenges and, and go forward. One of the things that I keep telling my graduate students, so this might be a little bit beyond your typical stemmer, but is that once you get to grad school, everybody is smart. That's why they're in grad school, right? It's not like in the traditional classroom where you have 400 students and some of them are at the top of their you know, class and some of them are in the middle and some of them are at the bottom. A lot of those top in the class end up going to grad school. So at that point, they're all smart. What differ among them is that some of them has perseverance and grit and Minor challenges or major challenges won't get them down. Whereas some other people, when they, feel, they see major challenges, they give up. I think that is a critical mentality that you must have if you're going to be successful in the STEM area. Because it's a field that is advancing. So you're never going to find the perfect solution ahead of time. You're always going to do trial and error until you find a solution that you think is a workable solution may not even be optimal, and those there'll be people who take care of the optimization part later, but those are the things that you, it's an unknown field. You're going forward with not knowing what the solution will be, and obstacle will come up, and you just can't give up. I think that's the most critical aspect, characteristic that you must have. I agree with that, Dr. Woody, having the grit, and there's actually been studies out there, STEM Nation, that talks about how you can actually, grit is a skill, and the best time to learn that is in high school, and some ways that you can do that is actually by getting into some club or activity, sports, whatever it is, and sticking with it for at least two years and elevating yourself within that club. You know, maybe become the secretary, maybe right. become the president. And that's and there's studies that prove that that's how you develop the skill of grit. So you high schoolers out there, take note of that, develop that skill, so that when you do get into college, you have the grit to stick with it and to grind through it, because there's a lot of challenges that you're going to come across. Yes. And Dr. Woody, we're going to take a quick pause and thank our sponsor, Audible, who's offering a free audiobook. You can head over to stemonfirebook.com. That's stemonfirebook.com to get a free audiobook of your choosing. If you decide to cancel within 30 days, there's no cost, and you keep the audiobook. And Dr. Woody, it is lightning round time. Are you ready? Sure. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Have clarity in what you do and stick with your core strength. That was my advisor advice, I guess. Uh, and and I, I take that to heart. And what's a personal habit that contributes to your success? 
I'm very detail oriented. I think uh, I don't let things get by without getting suspicious or paying notice. Um, that that I think has get me uh, have have done me well over the years, especially in research because you always want to look for certain uh, advantage, right? Something and a lot of time it just show up as part of this noise, and you just have to be able to get into the noise and pick out the kernel of truth or the kernel of facts that actually can be useful. And what's your favorite internet resource or phone app and why? Well, I like the weather app, of course, because I live in Nebraska. The weather changes so regularly. But I still, you know, I'm, I'm very simple. I like Google, right? I like YouTube. Now, why do I like YouTube? Because this is how I communicate with my kids. Um, they are a YouTuber. They, they like to watch YouTube. They like to watch material on YouTube. And I found out that I learned a lot from YouTube. So I do run YouTube app all the time on my phone. Um, that would probably be number one. I don't really have a lot of this fancy app besides a calendar, which is my life now. Anything not on, not on my calendar would mean that it will never get onto my meeting because I would forget, right? Absolutely. It's your, your, the, your calendar is your external brain. It is. And, and Dr. Woody, what's one book you would recommend? Outlier by uh, Malcolm Gladwell. I think, you know, college kids, especially, or a high schooler, they should read it. It gives you some perspective about the way that the worlds work, the way that successful people becoming successful. Uh, some of the, the stories are quite nice, and uh, there's a lot of stories about the tech people, including Bill Joy, Bill Gates, you know, Steve Jobs in that book, and how, why they become so successful. So I think uh, reading that book would be quite useful. And it, it's a light read. You know, you can start and finish it in probably a couple of hours, and you learn something about the way things work. All right, Dr. Woody, thanks for that. And I'm going to circle back a little bit before we close off here and give a little plug to the University of Nebraska. One thing you brought up, Dr. Woody, was that if you, if you really don't like what you're doing, you want to have the ability to change. So STEM Nation, I'm going to say when you're looking at universities, colleges that you're going to head off to, take a look to see how easy it would be to change from one major to another major. And I'll say that at the University of Nebraska, they make it quite easy. Because when you go in for at least, I'll say, for engineering, you can switch between chemical engineering, mechanical engineering, computer, computer engineering. You can switch between those very, very easily. Uh, the reason I know that and how I learned how I met Dr. Witte is my son actually goes to the University of Nebraska, and he really enjoys it. So it's a great college, so a little plug for, for UNL. Oh, thank you. And Dr. Witte, as we do wrap up here, could you share a parting piece of guidance for STEM Nation? And then we'll say goodbye. For those of you coming to college, embrace it. Enjoy it. It's a, it's a pretty cool four years or five years of your life that you will never get it back after you pass. Um, come in with open mind. Come in with blank sheet. Try to learn as much as you can and enjoy some of the classes that you might not think you would enjoy because those are the things that end up a lot of time matter quite a bit. You know, uh, Some of the classes that are not your core in the area can give you some perspective about other things in life. So please do that. All right. Thank you for that, Dr. Witte. And with, with that, we will say goodbye. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed our chat today with Dr. Witte. Head over to stemonfire.com, subscribe to the email list to keep up with the latest happenings, and be sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast player. And please share it with a friend. Tune in next week we talk with Megan, who is a neuroscientist. Until next time, I hope this chat has helped ignite your passion 
towards a STEM career.